It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. Coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're listening, I hope you're doing all right today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. We'll give my man a call, 912-268-2368-912-268-2368. Give my man a call right now. No, no, not right now. They're not open now. But you know what I'm talking about, whatever you're listening. Today's show is also being brought to you in part uh, by my book, Tom Molino from Bondage to Baddest Men on the Planet is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of this book right now while you're watching or listening to the show. Just go to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Find out why I'm so adamant about getting Tom Molino's story told. And one last thing. If you're going to be traveling and you need to stay at a Holiday Inn, any Holiday Inn property, don't forget, you get a Billy Billy C. discount. Man. I'm having a hard time today. Today, it started off bad. It started off bad already. But uh, uh, you get a Billy C. discount. Just use the toll-free number 844 844-603-0364. Or just visit our website, billycboxing.com, and uh, click on the banner. It's on the right-hand side. Um, don't forget, tomorrow, our blast from the past is uh, Michael Second to None. And uh, my man Larry Hazard will be joining us uh, as well. Uh, we are in uh, fight week. Uh, Anthony Joshua versus Joseph Parker, a unification fight. Uh, the uh, winner of this fight will walk away with the uh, WBA, IBF, WBO, and IBO belts. The only belt uh, left would be the uh, WBC belt, which is held uh, by Deontay Wilder. Uh, we'll uh, talk about that uh, and my opinion that it's going to be an exciting fight, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Bob Arum ha- had some uh, comments uh, concerning the uh, uh, situation with uh, Triple G and Canelo. Uh, and also, speaking of which, I have an update on a possible opponent uh, for uh, Triple G if Canelo is banned, which he should be. Uh, anybody that's uh, caught uh, cheating, especially with performance-enhancing drugs, there should be a penalty, a consequence, and uh, nobody should be above that. And uh, that spineless, gutless piece of garbage in Nevada 
Bob Bennett, all eyes are on him. Uh, they have uh, temporarily, as we talked about yesterday, temporarily uh, suspended Canelo until April 10th when they have their uh, meeting. And um, I've, uh, I've read some things, uh, both sides. A lot of people think that it's just going to be shoved under the carpet. But then again, uh, there's some strong possibilities that this fight uh, may not take place because of the pressure that's on the Nevada State Athletic Commission. And one of the big telltales was this past weekend when we watched Dillian White destroy Lucas Brown. Um, HBO, which is doing the pay-per-view for Triple G Canelo, did not mention it, not once. Uh, they know that it's up in the air as well, so they didn't want to promote it. Uh, so uh, interesting things. I, I, listen, I never want to stand in anybody's way of making a huge payday or anything like that. But on the other hand, you know, everybody's crying about performance-enhancing drugs and cheaters in the business, et cetera, et cetera. You can't let this get away. You can't. You have to make a statement. Unfortunately for Canelo, he was the one cheating, and uh, that statement uh, is going to be applied to him, at least in my opinion. Uh, joining me right now to get his opinion, uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. Uh, what's your thoughts on uh, the latest developments? Well, you know, they are the latest developments because uh, before I went away this weekend, I did not really hear all the, the uh, information that you're just reciting now. And I did see it this morning on the uh, ESPN website. And, uh, yeah, I guess the fight is uh, definitely uh, in jeopardy with the hearing coming up. And we'll, we'll see from there. Uh you and I had said, you know, maybe make it a, make a stance and then let's let this uh, be what it really is and suspend Canelo. And, you know, this may just very well be the pathway that's going to be taken. And, uh, you know, so, you know, this might be a, a, a good thing right now just to make this case because, you know, these PEDs that are in the, in the sport, you know, definitely you, they've got to be banned. Everything's got to be, be followed by the rules and regulations. There can't be any private or personal concessions being made for anybody. So let's let it ride the way it's supposed to be. Let the, let the whole uh, system play out. And if that's the case, then this fight's not going to happen, at least not in May. Well, I hope it doesn't happen at all because I, I, I don't think that uh, it's right that uh, anyone should get uh, a pass. But uh, Bob Arum had a funny thing. Uh, he was uh, asked about uh, the situation and he said, uh, basically, you know, this whole fabrication of the eaten tainted meat story sounds like uh, my dog ate my homework line. And he's right. It's you know, I, I mean, the truth of the matter it's is, true. is that you got to be held accountable. I, you know, you can't. It's it's like we kid. I always say fighters are and their team saying, we, we did this, we did that. You know, we worked hard, we prepared our best. And then the fighter loses and the trainers are going, well, he didn't listen to me, he didn't do this. Well, it's the same thing with the fighter. You know, we, we have a game plan. We, we're doing this, we're doing that. You know, we're eating the right food. We're, we're working out, we're doing the right exercise. Well, then all of a sudden when he tests positive, He's pointing the finger. Well, I, I don't know. My, you know, I just ate what, uh, you know, I ate, I took that pill and water because my nutritionist said so. I mean, you got to be held accountable for what you're doing, Sal. Well, and that's a, that's the other thing. You know, you never know how far of a span this could actually uh, evolve to. Maybe Canelo will be saying the next thing. Well, if it's not the meat, 
then, you know, I have a nutritionist. And he said, here, take this, take that. I had no idea what I was taking. So in other words, accountability, uh, he's got a couple of ways that he's going to deflect this off of him personally because no way could he be associated with this personally. I, I, I just don't see it happening, him fessing up and saying, oh, yeah, you know, somebody pulled me aside. This was either his camp's way of, of uh, getting a competitive edge uh likely knew everything about it but what i'm saying is i don't think he sought after it. it was probably introduced to him as a as a viable option to uh be stronger to be be quicker to be uh, more durable uh, going into the fight how long has he been doing this we don't know but uh bottom line is he was caught now and he should own up to saying hey let's see what happens you know well you know if it walks like a duck it quacks like a duck it's a freaking hey. duck and, and, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is, is, uh, you know, I, one of our listeners, I believe my man Mitch, had said, hey, it's simple. You know, if, if he's working out and they have a, sh a cook and they're all eating the same thing, they're all doing that, then why hasn't anyone else tested? You know, so um, now it, sound, it sounds to me like uh, Canelo was caught. And uh, if he does not get to fight, Demetrius Andre. Uh, who's 25-0, and 0, former uh, world junior middleweight champion, uh, and his team, uh, Banner and Star Boxing, uh, both uh, co-promotions. Uh, they said, hey, well, well, you know, he'll step in. He'll be ready uh, to, uh, to fight uh, uh, Canelo. Uh, I'm sorry, Triple G. Triple G. If uh, Canelo uh, can't do it, uh, you know, which is uh, kind of funny. You know, he's ranked number one uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the WBO at, at middleweight. Demetrius Andre fought one time at middleweight. He fought Alantez Fox in his last fight in October. Uh, aside from that, he's been, uh, you know, he fights far and few in between. Uh, you know, it's a shame because he's a talent, but uh, at least you got one name floating around there. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, the team uh, Triple G has already said that they are fighting on that date, whether it's against Canelo or not. So we'll see. Good brand, uh, yeah. Uh, in any event, hey, they announced the officials for the Anthony Joshua-Joseph Parker fight uh, for this weekend. Funny how they do that the week of the fight. Like, yeah, you know, you're kind of supposed to. You know, Las Vegas, the Nevada State Athletic Commission uh, recently named officials for a fight that wasn't even taking place. It had been canceled due to an injury. Uh, months in advance, they named uh, these officials. Uh, which is ridiculous, and, and, and it should be another flag going up. Uh, but uh, as far as uh, uh, the fight for this weekend, they named the officials, uh, the uh, three judges, Steve Westfield, uh, who you hear uh, a lot uh, on TV. I don't know how great he is, but he is what it is. Uh, Steve Gray, and he's from the USA. Steve Gray out of the U.K., and Ian Scott out of uh, uh, New Zealand. Now, the uh, referee is Giuseppe Quartroni. Uh, out of Italy, so uh, at least no we kidding. have at least we have all the neutral judges. That's the way it should be, Sal. Neutral refs, neutral judge. What do you think? I think that's I think it's great. I, you know, I, I said they should have done that with the uh, uh, fight with uh, Klitschko, um, not Klitschko, um, light heavyweight with uh, with Andre Ward, and uh, you know they, they should have done this many times. I think an international panel. Uh, should be also introduced to, to big, big title fights or so. I, re I really believe that. Well, I, I think that there definitely should be neutrality in the uh, yes. uh, in all of it. 
uh, whether it's, uh, you know, a neutral, definitely three neutral uh, judges. Yeah. And the referee should be, uh, you know, I, I would like to see different referees. You know, as too often are we seeing the same referees over and over and over. And some, in a lot of cases, they're not even good ones. That Mark Nelson is terrible. And he's been popping up all over the place. You know, uh, the best referees, in my opinion, are the referees you don't remember who refed because they did a good job. They were out of picture. Uh, they did what they were supposed to do. The referees that you remember, that burn in, in your head because you remember who the ref was, that's a guy that made an impact for some way, shape, or form. Whether he slapped the, you know, you got all the, you know, it's, it's you know, you, you can dissect the sport in so many ways, and it's, it's so disheartening sometimes, Sal. Well, you know, they, you have certain referees. They do like to get the camera time. They do like to get their names out there. Will they go out of their way to do something that uh, will propel that to continue happening? I, I don't know. Uh, I can't say. They, you know, they're doing their job. If they're more uh, flamboyant in their mannerisms, then the networks and the, the commissioners that hire them should be aware of that and then, you know, have a talk with them and say, hey, we're, we're hiring you to do a job. Let's see you do a good job and don't uh, do more and do less than what you're supposed to do. Hey, that's a great idea, Sal. Maybe maybe, maybe uh, they should do that, you know. Maybe, maybe they should uh, look at that, but unfortunately they don't. And, uh, and I got news for you. A referee should not be hired because he makes googly eyes in a thing and because he dances and does all that that's that's not a referee doing his job that's a referee trying to get on tv that's a referee that's trying right. to make his a name for himself outside of what he's supposed to be doing which is refereeing a fight listen i've said this all the time you have fighter a versus fighter b you don't have fighter a versus fighter b featuring joe schmo as the referee no no no, no, no. that's not, not how that. it works man it's not how it works. Um, my man uh, Johnston has given uh, us the second installment, uh, and he's going to post it up on uh, BillyCBoxing.com, but the second installment of uh, Anthony Joshua's uh, fight diary. Um, and uh, this is uh, what, he's, what he's got to say. This installment, this is Anthony Joshua. Um, you know, uh, uh, he says... Uh, there's been a lot of talk this week about what lies ahead after I fight Joseph Parker on Saturday night. Uh, that's always the way in boxing. But looking beyond a fight uh, is like is a is both a big mistake and an unnecessary distraction. That being said, I get the con uh, conjecture as the heavyweight division is booming uh, at the moment with a lot of star names and attractions. Uh, but you can never look beyond the man standing. Uh, in the ring opposite you. Yet I do understand the bigger picture and the fact that winning the WBO belt is another step towards unifying the division. Parker was the one who agreed to the fight, uh, so I have to respect him for stepping up as it genuinely could have been Deontay Wilder. Uh, Wilder got a win against a credible fighter in Luis Ortiz at the start of this month, but after nine years as a pro, he's supposed to do that. Uh, it was his 40th fight. By my 40th fight, no one should be giving me any problems. I should be a seasoned professional. Instead, he goes around America shouting bomb squad and that he's the WBC world heavyweight champion, but only when he's ready to sign the contract will we find out what he's really about. If I had to compare both fighters, I would say Parker is the more dangerous opponent. 
Wilder has an unpredictable style and explosive power, whereas with Parker, he is a bit more of an all-around game, as you could talk about his speed, his stamina, and he's got a good chin. He doesn't throw many combination punches, but he throws way more than Wilder. There's never been one champion in the heavyweight division who relied solely on power and one punch, uh, so the stats and facts suggest that Parker is the tougher fight. Of the others, Dillian White did well over the weekend, and everybody knows the history between us and the amateurs and at the O2 Arena in 2015, and people do want to see a rematch. Dillian was saying that he would love to fight me there four or five times as we uh, bring out the best of each other, and I don't back down from someone who wants to go to war. Although I'm uh, hunting for the belts, he's ranked with the WBC and is chasing down Wilder as well. So either way, I'm looking to get my hands on that belt. Tyson Fury has got a lot of people talking recently about the big news he's gonna go, uh, that he's going to announce, but I don't spend any of my time thinking about him. People want to see him back in the sport, and he's calling out big names for his first fight back, but give it a couple of bouts, and people will realize how boring he is again. My only interest is to unify the heavyweight division so he isn't even a potential opponent for me as he has no belts and hasn't been remotely active. Saying all of this, plans for the future depend on getting the job done on Saturday, and I'm, looking, I'm not looking past that. I can't. Everybody's interested in what's going to happen in 2018 and beyond, but my full focus is on Joseph Parker. Then it's properly time to talk about the bigger picture. Um, you know, I, I love Anthony Joshua. I love what he says, uh, but I'm not so sure I believe it. I, I'm, I'm not so sure I believe <laughs> that he's not looking past Joseph Parker because he's talked about every other potential opponent that he has after the Joseph Parker fight in this statement, you know. Uh, and I also, uncharacteristically of him, you know, he's kind of he's kind of calling out uh, Deontay uh, a little more than we've heard in the past. Uh, you know, Deontay shouts and, you know, says how he's ducking him, how AJ's ducking him, et cetera, et cetera. And AJ just put it on the line, said, sign the contract. You know, there's been an offer. Uh, you want to fight? Let's fight. If not, I have other options. That's what he's saying. That's what I took. What do you think? Well, I, I think a couple of things I was uh, making notes with. Uh, first of all, Dillian White, uh, if he was to fight Anthony Joshua, Dillian White would resemble a dandelion in the sun for a month without water and fold just like that. Uh, I can't see Dillian White doing anything against Anthony Joshua. Joshua will destroy him it's inside of three rounds. Um, as far as calling out Deontay Wilder or saying that Parker is a dangerous, uh, more dangerous than than um, than Deontay Wilder, I I don't believe in my heart of hearts that he truly feels that either because you know you do. Uh, again, I'm going to say this, and I'll do respect to Anthony Joshua, and I and I love him. I think he's a great, great heavyweight champion. I think he's great for boxing, but you know, I, I think it's it's amusing how he's revealing uh, his diary, personal diary, which is just what I just said—a personal diary. It's things you write in there that's not for anybody else to look at. For him to do this, it's a great mouthpiece to share with him and market him and have us believe what he wants us to believe about Anthony Joshua. So it's nothing good or bad. I'm just telling you. I'm not sure if these are the real thoughts and real feelings of Anthony Joshua or if this is just 
promoting or or uh, giving us an idea of what he wants everybody to know who the real Anthony Joshua is. That's all. Well, first of all, we're going to take a break, but it's not a personal diary. It's a fight diary. No, he's, it's a he's, fight he's, diary. He's get, what he's trying to do is is give the fans a look at what's going through his mind leading up to the fight, which I think is pretty cool. I, I don't oh, think cool. no, you know, it's cool. I, I'm yeah. not saying anything bad. No, I'm no, I, really I know, I know. Bad, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we've got more uh, on Anthony Joshua Joseph Parker this weekend. Can't wait. Billy C will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy, Billy C. C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us uh, today. And we're talking about uh, the fight coming up this weekend. Huge fight in heavyweight division. Anthony Joshua against uh, Joseph Parker. There's a lot of discussion going on in all the chat rooms right now. And uh, a a lot of uh, people uh, in the uh, YouTube chat, which incidentally we have the... uh, Super chat available, so uh, if you want to uh, get your point uh, talked about and mentioned on the show, just do a super chat and I'll hook you right up. And we appreciate the super chats. But uh, the big question here is, you know, again, they're not talking about Joseph Parker. They're talking about Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua. And to be honest with you, I get the feel that not only are the fans overlooking uh, Joseph Parker, but I think Anthony Joshua is overlooking Joseph Parker a little bit too. Uh, what's your thoughts on that, uh, Mr. Senecola? Well, I, I believe he might be looking past this fight this weekend, and, uh, you know, I think he definitely uh, cannot afford to do that because, you know, Parker, I think, is going to be a lot more dangerous than Lucas Brown or Dillian White. So uh, I think that Parker is uh, going to maybe even look to take advantage of this if he thinks that uh, uh, that Anthony Joshua is looking past him. Uh, so uh, he's got to focus. He's got to put the put the uh, the blinders on, and he's got to really just get past this weekend, as a true champion will do. So I think that uh, yeah, there's a lot of rhetoric and a lot of things that we're going to be looking at past this fight, but uh, we cannot really say anything is past this fight until this fight takes place this weekend. And if Anthony Joshua comes out the victor, then we can look past and look at everything else that opens up and we can discuss. You know, I think that this fight between Parker and Anthony Joshua is going to be a little more uh, exciting than than people might realize. You know, uh, Parker's a young fighter, too. I mean, he's actually younger than Anthony Joshua at 26 years old. And when you look at his resume, he's 24-0 with 18 knockouts. So, you know, he's bringing an undefeated record uh, to the uh, – uh, to the ring as well and he did fight some tough opposition he fought Andy Ruiz Jr. in 2016 which was a very controversial um, decision win and and that's how he won the uh, uh, world title uh, it was a majority decision it was fought uh, in uh, New Zealand Joseph Parker's uh, home country 
and it was a majority decision win. A lot of people feel that Ruiz uh, Jr. Uh, should have gotten the nod in that fight, and he followed it with two uh, wins o- over less than stellar opposition, uh, Razvan Kajanu, who's uh, a fighter that was in the uh, ESPN heavyweight tournament, uh, was a decent fighter, but uh, you know ended up going the distance with Parker. And then in his last fight, another controversial win over Huey Fury. Those two, uh, basically those three fights, all all kind of uh, weird. Two controversial wins, one dominating win. And when you look throughout Joseph Parker's uh, professional career, he's had some layup opponents. Daniel Martz, Jason Bergman's a tough guy, uh, but. Uh, you know, he's uh, n- not exactly a, a world beater. He did beat Callie Meehan. He beat Bowie Tatupu, who was really a cruiserweight. Uh, Sherman Tank Williams, way past his prime when he beat him. Brian Minto, a uh, basically a Lucas Brown-type fighter. And he fought 175-year-old Francois Botha <laughs> back in uh, 2013. But the point is, is he's had some experience. You know, a, a lot of discussion going on right now in the uh, uh, chat room about Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder, who's got the tougher resume and blah, 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 and, and everything else. And, and listen, it's no, it, it's no, nobody's lying when they say that Deontay Wilder hasn't fought anybody. He hasn't. You know, I give him credit, obviously, for his last fight. That was a huge win against, and I don't care what, people say it was against a quality opponent and I also give him credit uh for beating uh uh a Spitzka I you know not that Spitzka was a, a great fighter but he was at least a ranked fighter aside from that Deontay Wilder's you know other 38 wins were against basically cupcakes now when you look at Anthony Joshua the argument is well he's fought no one either you know he beat up uh, a 40 year old uh, Vladimir Klitschko The thing that I look at with Anthony Joshua um, is Anthony Joshua, in his seventh pro fight, uh, fought uh, Matt Skelton. And and Matt Skelton doesn't have an impressive record, and a lot of people might not know who he is. And and in his tenth fight, uh, he fought Michael Sprout. uh, And actually, in his ninth fight, he fought Dennis Bakatov. You know, these guys aren't killers. But you know what? In an early... When you're early in your career... 7th, 10th fight, and you're fighting experienced guys like that, that helps you develop. That's something that Deontay Wilder never had the opportunity to do. And I think it's going to haunt him uh, as his career goes forward, Sal. Well, I think uh, it may, it may not. Let's see what he delivers here going forward, and that's the whole thing he's looking for. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you, can, you can make up and twist and spin the past any way you can. Uh, even with the future. But, uh, I mean, that's what we learn in our political environment. And, you know, politics and boxing has always been. So it depends on how and where and what is going to be presented and delivered. All I could say is let's look at the future and let's go on and see what we could build from there and let these fighters do what they have to do. Let's get in the ring with the best and uh, make it happen. I, I could give I, I give a lot of passes if somebody's at a stature in their career uh, and and they're uh, they're the uh, wrapped up package that that's going to be finally uh, either exposed or uh, validated. Uh, you know, then hey, let's see it, let's do it, let's not look past it. My point is is that you can't get better if you're not fighting better opposition. You you can't. And um, in in Wilder's case, 
you know, he had a great fight against Luis Ortiz. And now it's going to be interesting to see how he performs in his next fight. Because you would think that he would have learned something. He took a lot of punches in that fight. Um, you know, it was against the Southpaw, et cetera, et cetera. So as long as he learns something, I'm okay with it. If not, I disagree with you 110% that you can't, you know, my point being that Deontay is relying on, he's a one-trick pony right now, uh, and that's his power punch. And, you know, he can't, he can't do that forever. You know, but then again, like you just said, maybe he can. I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, but the- I think he learned a lot from that fight, Bill. I think, you know, I, I think he's a smarter guy than what a lot of people give him credit for. I think he knows. And, and, and uh, you know, it's like you said in many fights, if somebody gets hurt or reverts back or they're tired or whatever the heck, their instincts take over. Maybe they're not mentally as disciplined just yet or mature enough. And they just revert back to what they know innate, what's natural. And that bomb right hand is natural, and to deliver it is natural. So hypothetically speaking, you know, I believe he does have more to show. And when he has the right dance partner and he has to do it, you know, a win is a win. And whatever you have to do to win is what's going to make and test a great fighter. Well, when the time comes, uh, I hope you put your money where your mouth is because, uh, uh, you know, I I just – you know, uh, this weekend, you know, do me a favor. Watch the fight. Oh, I will. Don't just I will. watch the the highlights because I need you to see the whole package of Anthony Joshua. And, by the way, Anthony Joshua against Joseph Parker is going to be an exciting fight. I think it's going to be uh, something that uh, – not that uh, – listen, Joseph Parker is ranked at number seven in the world by the computer. Of course, Anthony Joshua is number one. Uh, Deontay's number two, by the way. But uh, uh, Joseph Parker brings a lot. Uh, what 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 Anthony Joshua was saying in his diary, a lot of it is true about Ant, uh, about Joseph Parker. All of it's true about Joseph Parker. This kid does have some ability. Uh, yes, he's uh, you know been in uh, with some decent opponents, but not nobody to write home about. Um, you know, didn't have a lot of money in terms of promotion behind him, so maybe that's it. But uh, did uh, uh, have, uh, you know, some, some good uh, uh, fights. I, I just think that come Saturday, we're going to see Joseph Parker test uh, Anthony Joshua. Uh, and Joseph Parker, of his 24 wins, 18 uh, are by knockout. So, so this guy's got some pop, too. Uh, he is giving up a couple of inches in height. And he does claim that he's faster and, and more mobile uh, than uh, AJ and, and uh, than any opponent that AJ has faced already. And, and he's going to need to use all of that mobility and, and hand speed to, to get to Anthony Joshua. No fighter likes to be on their back foot. I think if Joseph Parker can come at AJ and get him out of his game, rile him up a little bit, uh, he's got a chance, but other than that, I think it is going to lead to some exciting, you know, some excitement. Uh, but um, you know, if Vladimir Klitschko couldn't get uh, Anthony Joshua out of his game, I'm not so sure Joseph Parker can. Well, that's what we're going to see, and and that's why it does pose to be a, a pretty good fight. And uh, you know, we have uh, some contrast in styles and and ability, or or I, I guess what you use to accentuate your career. And, uh, you know, that would be my, my only concern with Anthony Joshua in a fight. Like, 
like maybe he's going to have this weekend if a guy could be fast enough to be plotting, to be thinking, to be moving, to be hitting. Because Anthony Joshua, he, to his credit, I mean, he's he's a dynamic. He's he's one of the best out there today. He's great. He's got power. He's got ability. He's got skill. But he doesn't have the greatest speed. And uh, who doesn't but, have the, he, who doesn't have the speed? No, I don't. I'm not saying he doesn't have the greatest speed. That's what Anthony you just Joshua, said. My he's he's, he's you a said, big guy. Yeah, but you said those exact words. You said he doesn't have the greatest speed. I got to take a break. Hold, hold that right. thought because I want to hear. Like I, I, I want to hear. I want to hear what you got to say. So hold that thought. Billy C will be right back. Now back to talking boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C., damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. The undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And just before we went to break, uh, Sal Rocky Senecola made a statement that AJ is not fast. Uh, explain what you mean. He wasn't. I, I didn't say he wasn't fast. Yeah, I just did. think that you have to be careful with a with a faster opponent that can get inside and out because I, I think Anthony Joshua, he's fast, but he's not the fastest. And what I'm just saying is that a, an opponent that could move side to side, that could slip a punch, that could counter, that could go to the body, that could be in and out, may give him a little more trouble. Who can I do that? Know. And Who- if Parker's that kind of fighter, uh, we're gonna see how he deals with it. Well, who 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 who's faster than AJ in the heavyweight division right now? Not too many, because exactly. there's not too many. <laughs> that, exactly, exactly. Not too many fast heavyweights. You, you gotta watch him. You gotta watch his I, fights I, yeah. because because you I know will. he's he he is. As a matter of fact, one of the things I like about AJ is that he does let his hands go. He's not afraid to engage. He's got that uppercut that almost took Vladimir Klitschko's head clean off his shoulders. I mean, I Agreed. thought his I thought his head was going to end up in the third row, you know. And, and and in order to land an uppercut like that, Sal, you got to be in tight. You got to be close enough to be yes. in range. You're not landing an uppercut like that being safe a, a safe distance. So he's in there, and he has a good enough. I'd like to see him improve a little more, but he's got a good enough defense to keep him, you know, standing. Now, with that said. Uh, he's been uh, rocked and down in his career a couple of times. As a matter of fact, the guy you said wouldn't stand a chance with him at all, Dillian White, dropped him. Uh, he ended up getting knocked out himself in the following round, just like Klitschko did. Uh, but still, and, and when he does get hurt, and and we, we've talked about this many, many times in the heavyweight division, I mean, that's why everyone likes the heavyweight division, because anybody can hurt his opponent. I don't care how good you are at any time. But the difference which separates a, a, a good heavyweight from a, a not-so-good heavyweight if they get hurt is what they do when they get hurt. Can they rebound? Do they hold on? Do they try to tough it out? 
you know, with uh, with Anthony Joshua, I did see some holes in that game. I did see him not really hold on, uh, you know, tie his opponent up. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the fight with Klitschko, uh, I, I don't know how he didn't end up getting knocked out, to be honest with you. His hands were down. He was totally fatigued. He was exhausted. And Klitschko was coming in for the kill. I, I don't know how AJ did not get knocked out. And, and just to toss this into the mix, uh, you know, with Deontay Wilder, when Deontay Wilder was in all kinds of trouble with Luis Ortiz, he too didn't hold on. He was so bent on trying to stay on his feet that he didn't tie up uh, Ortiz. He didn't hold on, you know, which I thought was kind of strange. I, you know, these both of these guys need to, if they're in trouble... They need to tie up their opponent to bide some time. Don't you think, Sal? Well, I'll tell you what. You just made some good cases and good points. And here's the thing, though. When you look at the top game, the top fighters in their game, like an Anthony Joshua and like a Deontay Wilder, who have rarely been rocked or hurt, it's a first time for them, too. And even though they may have been trained or taught or told, hey, when when you're hurt, hold on, tie up, they've never been in that position where it's going to be do or die, life or death, and you know it's going to decide a fight. So to give them a pass and credit, maybe they know about it now because they've been rocked. Maybe they've been instructed. Maybe they will know. But like I said, these guys have been the elitist in their game, and they've never been in that situation. So to see them uh, having to look to bide some time and regroup and recover and uh, get their feet underneath them has been something that they haven't had to practice. Surely not in training and definitely not in a fight game as much as the, you know other fighters. So this is a new territory for them. And uh, they both passed, but they didn't pass with, with, without having the, uh, the option or ability uh, to, to really learn uh, at that moment. They learned after the fact. So let's see how they apply it in the future if they do get hurt. Well, that's goes with what I've said. And that's experience. Exactly. And that's experience against guys that can put you in that position. That's you know, correct. this is my point all along when I say it has nothing to do with heavyweights, but all fighters need to be progressively, you know, moved up. Their, their opponents have to get progressively harder. Otherwise, they don't get better. Listen, Deontay Wilder's team took a huge gamble in overprotecting this guy. And they kind of they kind of threw the ball against the wall against Ortiz. They b- bided their time. They had a guy that wasn't active. They had a guy that really doesn't punch all that hard. And they had a guy who was was aging. And they figured they would take the chance. But make no mistake, that was a huge, huge step up in in competition for Deontay. And you know he has to improve. He has to show that he's better. AJ has been showing fight after fight after fight that he gets better. And and I mean the only fight that he didn't look all that great in recently was the Carlos Decom fight. And the reason why I, I not that I want to make an excuse, but <laughs> um the but reason here we go. the I'm reason I so think bad. though, Sal, uh, and all honestly, honestly, the reason I think that he had trouble with Decom is because I don't think that Anthony Joshua had fought a short man before. You know, I've said this all the time. 
the Klitschko's became proficient in fighting shorter guys. When they were ruling the heavyweight division, most of the heavyweights were not 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, they were more like Carlos Takam's size, you know, 6'1", maybe 6'2". You know, as the fighters started to get bigger, now 6'4", is, is the norm, you know. The Klitschko's had to make some adjustments how to fight guys the same size. AJ and Deontay have been fighting big guys, you know, for their career. They're, they were used to fighting the bigger guys, uh, you know, not bigger than themselves, but I'm just saying taller guys. And all of a sudden, AJ's thrown in there with, with a five foot ten uh, Carlos Takam, and there was some adjustment. And like we're saying, hopefully he learned something because when and if there becomes a, a you know, short, uh, you know, good heavyweight, uh, these guys are going to have to know how to fight against those guys. So. Well, you are 100% correct. And, and, you know, there's a first for all. And, and you know what? Like, like I said often on the show, I was schooled, trained, and exposed to tall guys. And I would spar heavyweights. I'd spar light heavyweights. I'd, I'd spar bigger guys. And most guys that I fought were were a head taller, a foot taller. And, you know, it, it gave me the ability to feign up top, bang to the body, stay inside, brutalize, and do what I got to do. And the first time I first had, when I would have a little trouble, is when I fought a guy my size or shorter. And, you know, so what you said is 100% true. And uh, that's, again, what they call the good old golden book of experience. And when you do that, you learn. When you fight different styles, different bodies. Only the good fighters uh, learn from their experience. Hey, for everybody out there in the uh, YouTube chat, don't forget, man, we got the super chat. So help us out there, and we'll help you. We'll we'll, uh, comment on your comment, or we'll mention your comment, or we'll do something. Just whatever you want. Just ask me in the super chat. But uh, in any event, we got some emails, uh, and uh, we'll start off with Jesse. He says... uh, Hey, Billy C., Ryan Garcia is getting a lot of hype. Do you think this much attention will be too much for him in believing the hype? He has excellent talent, but he does need more defense and pressure attack, but he relies on his hand speed to keep his opponents at bay. His chin is straight up in the air, ready to be caught. His, he, t- his, uh, he TKO a dirt. He- uh, I love I love the English with you guys. He TKO'd a durable Fernando Vargas who usually goes deep into fights. He's been calling out Tank Davis and says he's better. Uh, he better get him now because when he gets older, he's definitely going to beat the Tank. Um, okay, so so my thoughts on this. Yeah, I, well, because he's got a couple other uh, points here, Sal. Um, my thoughts on this, and I actually said it uh, on yesterday's show, and you and I talked about it off the air. I love this kid. Uh, Garcia, hand speed, yeah, you know, uh, punching power, both hands, yep. Uh, but I do think he stands up too, too straight. Uh, this is a case where his natural abilities are taken over. Um, you see this a lot in very talented, athletic young fighters who get by on that. And then at some point, especially as he ages and moves up in weight, it's going to fail him. And a good trainer needs to get this guy going with head movement and, you know, being ready. Um, you know, it's like it's like a fight. I had a heavyweight one time. I'll never forget it. I tell this story a lot. You know, he's sparring. I'm watching him spar. Now, I'm not a trainer, but I'm watching this guy spar. And his hands are down. You know, his hands are down. 
And, uh, you know, I, I, I asked him, I go, why, why are your hands? I said, well, I'm not in a danger zone. I said, what are you talking about? He <laughs> says, well, you know, I, I only put my hands I up when, when I'm in the danger zone. He can't hit it. me when I'm not in a danger zone. I said, yeah, that's great now. You know, you're sparring, you got headgear. But what happens when you're in a fight and you're, you're, it's deep into the fight and you're a little tired and maybe your perception is off a little bit and you drop your hands because you don't think you're in a danger zone and the next thing that happens is you're getting clocked. The, the, the moral of the story here, Sal, is you got to be ready. You can't assume. You know what they say about assuming. I do. Assuming Nelson? No, teasing. No, but I mean, I, don't you think that this kid should be taught the right stuff now? Well, he should be taught the right stuff now. He's got a world of talent. He's a good fighter. You know, I'll borrow a line when I represented the old Army boxing team. You fight like you train, you train like you fight. And that's what we did, and that's what you do. And you can't uh, wait for later or to get in the danger zone. You got to develop these habits and these styles now, because the danger zone is only a quick flash second of of, of being in position to ha- uh, receive or deliver a punch, and uh, you know it's 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 when the fight goes on, you get fatigued. You know the danger zone becomes shorter and uh, more more likely to be a strike zone. Uh, yeah, he he's got a great career ahead of him. He's a great young fighter. I like Ryan Garcia very much, but as you and I discussed off the air, this kid's a young kid. He's a teenager. His body is just a teenager. I mean, he's got to grow and develop into to to a man's body with the years ahead of him, and he will. I think he's got to put some more muscle on him. I think he's got to watch his, his footwork going backwards and his hands up. His head should be moving. So, yeah, I think these are things that he's going to grow and develop and learn. But I think he's a world talent right now, world class, and I think he uh, is going to show a lot of people some great things in the future. But he's got to keep his emotional state mature and, and everything else to follow. And uh, just think about it. this: is just a teenager, and he's already doing what most men can't do, so or most men try to do, and most men strive to do. So, I think he's got a long career ahead of him, and he's got to be handled very carefully. Well, here's the thing, you know, like what they do. You know, he the, the girls like him. He's he's got some fan support. He's got some you rock know, star he's got potential. all of this stuff going for him. So so now what happens when the, when when you notice if you're a promoter or a manager and you notice your your fighter has these uh, qualities about them, all of a sudden you start saying, "Ooh, wait a minute, Let, we can't take a risk. We don't want this kid to lose." You know, we got this momentum, and then they have a tendency, human nature, to to put him in with less than stellar opposition. So he never gets a chance to improve. This is what I constantly say over and over and over. If you are not increasing your fighter's uh, level of competition a little bit after each fight, you're not helping your fighter. You're hurting him. If this kid, Ryan Garcia, is put in with... The, now, Now, granted, he was put in. Fernando Vargas was a, was a good fighter. A mature uh, no, veteran. He, he was a good fighter. Uh, yeah. But, you know, you know he, now he's got to go with another one just like it. Make sure it wasn't a fluke. Make sure Far- Vargas, uh, you know, wasn't a spent fighter. Another fighter, maybe a little taller than Vargas. You know, maybe a little bigger. Maybe a, with a little more power. You know, we don't really know. The fight didn't get out of the first round, you know. Uh, but uh, but you can't you can't become complacent with a young fighter because then they never get a chance to get better. Uh, as is the case with Deontay Wilder. But uh, uh, we have uh, some more uh, points here from uh, Jesse. He says, uh, White had a good win, but Brown was horrible. He was just looking to catch White. 
Uh, Lucas had no game plan like the announcers mentioned. He should retire because it's not safe for him. Uh, White versus Brazil, uh, Ortiz, Konaki, Julong Zhang, or Andy Ruiz. White has much to prove. Hearn keeps pushing for White versus Wilder, but that's not necessary. Um, Jesse always has a tendency to come up with all these potential fights. And this time, I actually agree with him. I do in too. a perfect world, and I was talking about this yesterday, in a perfect world of boxing, you would have these contenders fighting each other. The Whites would be fighting the Brazils, and et cetera, et cetera. That's how you weed out the pretenders from the contenders. But that's not how it works today, boys and girls. White has solidified his himself as the mandatory for Deontay Wilder. So unlike what Jesse thinks and what I agree with too, uh, he's going to be fed uh, to uh, Deontay Wilder. And I say fed because Deontay Wilder, although I'm critical of him, and I don't think he's good, I really don't, he's got the equalizer, he's got the pop, he's got the power. The question for Dillian White is, can he get inside and work the body? This is a fight I actually want to see. And the reason I want to see White against Wilder is I want to see if White has the ability to get inside of Deontay Wilder and work that skinny little body. Because I've said all along that if a fighter gets inside on, on Deontay and actually commits to a body attack, will destroy Deontay Wilder over a few rounds. It's going to destroy him. But nobody's done it yet. Now, is that because they headhunt? Because they think that Deontay's got a weak chin? Uh, we've learned that that's not really the case. Or is it Deontay preventing them from doing that? That's what we don't know yet. And I think that White would be a good test, Sal. I, uh, I, I don't know if I agree with you 100% because the Dillian White that I saw the other night, I was less impressed with Brown than I was more impressed with White. And uh, I, I think if Dillian White got in a ring right now with uh, Deontay Wilder, I think Deontay Wilder would put his head up on like a golf ball on a tee. And uh, uh, as far as Dillian White or any other fighter, you know, I know you think that Deontay Wilder is just a thin rail that, that is ready to be broken in half with his body. Bill, let me tell you something with that lean body. It's got the muscle tissue. It's got the obliques. It's got things there that when you could try to sink a punch in there, the reflex muscle, it's going to be like a bulletproof shield. I'm telling you, I give him more credit. Maybe he hasn't had to prove it yet. But that body like that, and I, I can understand because, you know, there, there's times when you will see a lean fighter like that that's got the muscle tissue, that's got the obliques, that does have the trunk to withstand a punishment. Just because it's thin doesn't mean it cannot endure a, a body attack. And I, I tend to disagree. I think he's got a better body than what you give him credit for. Nobody's hit him in the body. So how do you know? Well, I, I, I go by what I, I look at. I look at his overall reflex. size. He's 215 yes. pounds. 215 pounds fighting guys that are 240, all right? And he's got skinny little toothpick legs. He reminds me of Tommy Hearns. The difference between Tommy Hearns and him. Tommy Hearns, his weakness was was the fact that he had no legs. And, and, and you know, this was a guy that, you know, when he was stopped, it was because of that. He had pu freakish punching power just like Deontay. But, but Tommy Hearns... He was a boxer. This guy had skill after skill after skill. He was able to to do more things. I, listen, until somebody works the body, and I'm not suggesting that no. that Dillian White 
put on this fantastic show. I I, I, uh, I lost. Yeah, I, I thought that Dillian White was way better uh, than what he showed me as well on on Saturday. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is I I, I want to see. Listen, we're not going to see Deontay Wilder against AJ next. I, I I would be shocked if we see it, but we may see uh, Dillian White against Deontay Wilder next. And uh, I would like to just see, and I agree with you, I think that Deontay would come out on top in that fight, but what I would like to see is a fighter that has committed to body attack go after Deontay Wilder. No one has done it yet. I don't understand why, because what I see in Deontay Wilder and and his you know wild uh, uh, you know no balance no footwork it, it, you know it's like they they line themselves up to get clobbered by the bomb of a right hand that he's got uh, you know the way to get in him is get in his face don't let him get extended you know he doesn't have uppercuts he doesn't have he doesn't step to the side fluently to to land a, a shot when you're fighting inside he doesn't. He needs to be away. He needs to use his arm distance. You need to get up in his chest. And if he can fight somebody that does that, I'll give him credit. He hasn't shown it yet. That's all I'm saying about the body attack. And uh, people have been haunted. Listen, you know as well as I do that people kept saying, myself included, uh, up until the, the, his last fight that he had a glass chin. And I think all the fighters were headhunting. I think every fighter that stepped in the ring with Deontay Wilder were hoping that they landed one punch and put Deontay to sleep. I mean, can you at least agree with that? Well, I think that's what they thought they were going to find out and then try to succeed in doing. But, uh, you know, uh, thank God that we found out that uh, Deontay Wilder does have a good chin and he could take a hell of a shot. And, you know, you made a good analogy. I could see how you would compare the styles of a Tommy Hearns to a Deontay Wilder with their body, at least, perspective in, in, in their weight class. And uh, But I think Tommy Hearns didn't have quite the chin that Deontay Wilder showed us that he has. And that was what, uh, what exposed Tommy Hearns on certain levels. But Tommy Hearns was a world beater. Tommy Hearns could lay you out with a right hand, a hook. And a, he, he had it all. Tommy Hearns was great. And his only uh, weakness was that chin. And I don't know if the chin was so much with in correlation with the wee legs. I think it was just, just you know, that's when when you get hit and that button's pushed, you know, your body just, just says, wow, what happened? And I think that's, uh, that's sometimes what Tommy Hearns had to look to counter and to stay stable. And you cannot uh, deny that uh, the three rounds he gave with Marvin Hagler wasn't some of the best three rounds that we saw in boxing. The last point Jesse has is, Billy, uh, watch the ending of this fight between uh, Robert Garcia's highly touted prospect Joshua Franco against uh, Fernandez in Puerto Rico. It was an excellent fight, but the ending was controversial because the ref stopped the fight in the ninth round when Lucas caught Franco with a left shot that hurt Franco uh, pretty badly. Then he took five more unanswered shots, but at the same time, Franco was covering his chin. I think Franco should have taken a knee, fire back some shots or moved his feet around the ring and uh, moved his head. Franco cried, but uh, nothing to be ashamed of because it was an excellent fight and this was a learning experience. I agree. Listen, you can't fault a referee for stopping a fight when a fighter's not fighting back. Um, you know, fighters have to learn when they're in trouble. A, a lot of times when a fighter gets in trouble, they want to try to show their opponent and their corner that they're not hurt. So they immediately jump back up. You know, if they get dropped or something, they jump back. I'm okay, I'm okay. When really 
they need to take the rest of that, uh, you know, eight seconds that they're going to be given, whether they're hurt or not. You've seen some uh, uh, experienced fighters do just that. They get a flash knockdown. They stay on their knee. They, they focus on the referee. When he gets to seven, they rise. You know, these guys that wait till the referee is at eight or, or after eight going to nine before they rise and then get counted out, that's their mistake. When, when a referee is at seven, a fighter should rise. Uh, to make no mistake, because referees have a tendency to speed up the count as a fighter is rising. I, you know, don't ask me why. But, uh, no, I, I can't blame the ref on that. It really wasn't that uh, controversial, uh, in, uh, in my opinion. But, uh, anyway, hey, listen, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I got another email uh, to talk about. And uh, uh, we got some other stuff, so uh, don't go no S. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now, or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. He may not have an excellence in broadcasting award, but the night's still young. And he's got martinis. So you never know what may be by morning. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy, Billy C. C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, I want to give a shout out. We got a super chat. My man, uh... Uh, Johnston uh, just put uh, gave us a super chat in the YouTube chat room, and uh, he wants the world to know the world, the entire world, to know that he's going to donate money because I don't know what the hell uh, how much that is in uh, in the UK, <laughs> maybe pounds. Uh, if Parker wins the fight, I don't know. I don't get it. Is is does Johnston really think that? He's gonna win the fight, or he's just gonna help the show out if John if uh, Parker wins the fight. Uh, I, I mean, uh, I it is I what think, it is. I I, I just I appreciate the the super chat a hundred percent, but uh, I think I wonder. You know, maybe we'll get to see an article uh, from Johnston uh, on uh, on his reasons if he thinks that Joseph Parker has a chance against AJ. I mean, obviously he's got a chance, but. Uh, uh, my man uh, Johnston, putting his money where his mouth is, uh, uh, just gave us a super chat to mention that he's going to donate cash to this show if Parker wins the fight. Um, check out Johnston's column up on BillyCBoxing.com. He's posting the uh, uh, the fight diary that Anthony Joshua is putting out uh, in England uh, for us so you guys can get it uh, right here on uh, BillyCBoxing.com. Uh, but... Uh, uh, what do you think, Sal? I mean, he's given uh, Parker I can't a chance. Call up my uh, Jersey Italian suspicious background, but I think I think what he means behind that is it's not going to happen. So his cash is going to be safe. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I mean, that's how I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it inside out, not just face value on it as it reads. Uh, so somebody that says, "I'll give you a thousand dollars if you jump over that," ah, 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 and then you jump over that, and you're no, like, "Whoops!" I, what I'm saying is, I believe he, in his heart of hearts. Feels that Anthony Joshua is going to do what he's supposed to do and go out there and beat him, but I'm saying uh, what he's what he's saying to you is like, hey, 
if if it, if it if it snows in the middle of summer, I'm going to give you money. It's not going to happen. Well, it happened once for the uh, Farmers Almanac, uh, the old famous uh, in July one time. They predicted the weather, rain, sleet. They had uh, they had three days or whatever it was, uh, or no, it was one day. They they had empty. And they're like, well, you know, and for some reason they put rain, sleet, and snow. It was in July, and guess what? That day set a record. There was rain, there was some sleet, and there was snow in July on the East Coast. So uh, that's uh, amazing, amazing. <laughs> but uh, anyway, my man uh, Johnston, make sure you check out his uh, column uh, up on uh, uh, BillyCBoxing.com. Uh, um, we got another email here, and uh, this one's from my man Rick. Uh, and he says, uh, hey, guys, I was thinking about the uh, all the talk over the last 10 years about how the UFC was taking over boxing. In one sense, they are still ahead of the game as far as marketing and TV exposure. Uh, but all the demand has shifted the last couple of years ever since Mayweather showed interest in fighting McGregor. Now it's almost like Mayweather is holding that entire sport hostage, and I think it's hilarious. And you all, and and you of all people, should at least appreciate Mayweather for that. I don't appreciate Mayweather for anything because he's a con man. But anyway, and he's not holding the UFC hostage. The UFC is is getting publicity out of that. I I think that the crossover. You know what it was? The, the whole McGregor thing was that all the MMA fans, and, and we got to see it firsthand because we did that fight. Uh, Sal's place was filled with Conor McGregor fans, and they all honestly felt that he was going to beat Mayweather. They all were so loyal to their guy that they thought that he was going to beat Mayweather. I remember the one guy was depressed. He, I mean, oh, yeah, he you had to take his shoelaces from him, you know? I mean, he was really crushed that uh, Conor McGregor didn't win. But, I mean, when you look at it, Floyd Mayweather has made a career, at least the last 10, 12 years, of making damn sure that the guys that he's in the ring with don't have a chance in hell against him. That's my hang-up with him. You knew damn well that McGregor was going to beat Floyd in a boxing match. McGregor never fought in a boxing match before. He shouldn't have been allowed to fight as a, as a sanctioned fight. That was another move by the gutless, spineless piece of garbage, Bob Bennett. Please. And now he wants to fight MMA, but all on his style. He only wants stand-up. He wants this. He wants that. I say, forget you. Let him go crawl under a rock somewhere, and we never get to talk to him again. Rick was always a big fan. Rick stopped listening to this show, uh, I believe, for a while because of uh, how I feel about Mayweather. But uh, anyway, he says, I also think the loss of interest in the UFC has coincided perfectly with the excitement in the heavyweight division over the last year between Wilder and Joshua and some of the other contenders along the way. Wouldn't it be ironic, Billy, if your two favorite fighters, Floyd Mayweather and Deontay Wilder, ended up being responsible for killing the UFC and reviving the heavyweight boxing scene? One last... I'd give Deontay credit, but how does Floyd... Do, listen... Floyd, when Floyd leaves the sport, the sport thrives. We have not seen, at least it doesn't appear uh, since Floyd has retired again in this last thing, we haven't seen uh, many fighters that are ducking each other. I, I mean, they seemingly are, are fighting the right fight, something that Floyd didn't do. Uh, so, no, I, I think that boxing, at least, I, I can't really speak for UFC, my man, but 
for boxing, I think it's doing better without Floyd. And if Deontay gets, you know, if he's the guy responsible, then I'll be the first. You, you guys have it all wrong about me and Deontay. I, it's not that I dislike him. I just, I look at his style and I just see he's got nothing that resembles the sweet science. But he does have the equalizer, and I've said it a million times. You know, if that's all, he, Sal said it today. You know, if, if that's all he needs to win, fine. You know, hey, if he beats Anthony Joshua, when and if they fight, don't you think all bets are off? I mean, what, nobody can't give him credit then because there's nobody better than Anthony Joshua right now in the heavyweight division, except for maybe Deontay, if you feel that Deontay's uh, uh, the best. Those two are the top. The winner becomes the best. I mean, I personally think it's AJ. Sal thinks it's Deontay. I don't know. Um, he says uh, one last the two thing. best right now. Well, they are. Number one yeah. and number two. He says, uh, one last thing, Billy. I keep hearing you mention Alexander Povetkin as a viable heavyweight contender. I can tell you for myself, I could care less about ever watching that guy fight again. I'd rather see one of these up-and-coming fighters, even if they're unproven and haven't faced anyone of no. I, I, I don't know if I, – I don't recall me saying he's a viable contender. I, he's there. I, 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 the best days – as a matter of fact, I just commented in the chat room about that. His best days are long behind him. But my point is simple. I just believe that contenders need to fight other contenders and move up. I think that the heavyweight champion or any champion of, of a division should always fight the number one ranked contender. And in order to become the number one ranked contender, you shouldn't be allowed to pay for that spot. There shouldn't be a sanctioning body that has the number one spot not rated. You know, that's all a scam. When you see that there's nobody rated at number one, because if you don't have a number one guy, number two becomes number one. So you always have a number one guy. You know, that just goes to show you that promoters get to pay for their slot for their fighters. If fighters fought contenders that were above them, number 15 fights a number 12, and then he becomes number 12 and climbs the ladder until that guy is number one, not only do we have real fighters fighting the champions, we are weeding out the pretenders from the contenders. Sal, I don't think that there's any other way. If we had to do one thing in the sport of boxing to make sure that the two best fighters are always fighting each other, you know, for, from a championship perspective, to make them climb up the contender ladder, what's your thoughts? You know my thoughts. That's what I miss about the old days uh, before I took my Rip Van Winkle sleep. I mean... You know, you you had the fighters ranked in the top ten when there were a few less sanctioning bodies, and in order to work up to number one, you had to fight the guys on the ladder above you, and and that's the way it happened. You didn't see as much of the money under the table to buy your way up the ladder. You had to prove it to fight the guy above you to beat them and to move up in their place or above higher. That's it, and that's the way it should be. Well, I mean, wouldn't it uh, wouldn't it be uh, the best way? I mean, isn't it? Well, that makes it, sense. It's the best way. You weed out. You you do what you got to do and eliminate. And, and if if you are ranked in the top ten of the world or even top fifteen, I I don't care how many, how much you you want to go deep into the ratings. But the bottom line is, anybody below before they can aspire to fight the world champion. They should aspire to move up within that top five striking distance or top one notch uh, to number one contender. And how do you do that? 
you fight whoever is above you. And that's the way I, I, I believe it should still stay and how it should be. So you can earn your way, weed out the ones that can't hold on to the rung, and and get to the fight, get to the to leverage, and get to the position where you can now be a viable, realistic, deserving contender to fight for the world championship. That's how it should be. You got to earn it. You can't buy it. I agree, but unfortunately, that's what happens in this sport a lot, my man, a lot. But uh, in any event. Hey, listen, uh, don't forget, tomorrow we have our blast from the past, which is uh, Michael Second to None, a former middleweight and super middleweight world champion, and he also challenged for the uh, uh, light uh, heavyweight championship uh, as uh, as well. Uh, Unfortunately for uh, Michael Second to None, he's sitting in a slammer right now. Uh, Got popped for... uh, uh, dealing uh, some coke to uh, an undercover cop wow. and uh, got uh, uh, sentenced wow. to 24 years in jail. Um, it's a shame because wow. he was an extremely talented guy. I used to love watching him fight. We'll talk about him tomorrow. Uh, but one thing that I will mention that shocked me, I could have sworn that Michael Nunn was in the Hall of Fame, and uh, he's not. You know, when, when we go over his uh, resume, you'll see that you know, he's fought some and beat some great guys. Uh, he wanted to fight all the big names of his era, and none of them would fight him. He was too much of a risk uh, for guy. He called out Roy Jones Jr. He fought James Tony, in which uh, he was battering Tony until Tony knocked him out uh, in, in uh, like the 11th round or something like that. So uh, Michael Second to None was an extremely exciting fighter. Unfortunately, uh, things didn't. Uh, work out uh as well for him uh he's uh still i think he's scheduled to get out in another eight years or so so uh very unfortunate uh, chain events for him but we'll be talking about him tomorrow from our blast from the past on our blast in the past and uh also uh, boxing hall of famer and uh, new jersey boxing commissioner larry hazard uh will be with us as well but uh uh, you know, I'm excited, Sal, about this uh, fight coming up this weekend. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I know everybody wants to see Anthony Joshua fight Deontay Wilder, but I don't think anybody should really underestimate Joseph Parker, uh, including AJ. I, I think that uh, if Anthony Joshua, if I'm Anthony Joshua, I don't pussyfoot around in this fight. I, uh, I go in and take care of business. Um, you know, he needs to make a bigger statement than Deontay made against Ortiz and a bigger statement that Dillian White made against Lucas Brown. Not that I'm comparing Deontay to, to White no. or uh, even their opponents to Joseph Parker, but what seems to be happening in the heavyweight division is that momentum is being built and followed based on the last performance, which is basically how this sport goes and I think there's a bit of pressure on Anthony Joshua to look good in this fight and to win in a dominating fashion uh, because his fight against Carlos to come was an ordinary fight it wasn't all that exciting no it was not and uh, you know I often say many times you know a fighter is only as good as his last fight or to just make that and keep in perspective a fighter is as popular as what he exhibits in his last fight. Uh, so I think with that being said, 
Anthony Joshua after the Decom fight. Uh, I think he's going to want to make a statement. I think he's going to want to look good. I think he's going to want to win in a dominant fashion. And uh, Parker Parker is going to think the same. He's got to go out there and he's going to win. And uh, that's why I think this weekend is going to be a very good fight. And we will see what happens. I, I, I give uh, I give Parker a real good chance, and we'll see what happens, though. And Anthony Joshua might just be out there and, and be able to just hammer him shut and boom, and that. And that would be a dominant fashion, the way he can uh, win if he knocks him out, stops him. Well, considering that Joseph Parker is a world champion, yes. um, you know, I, I mean – AJ beats him. He's got every single belt but the green one. Uh, exactly. So I, I think that uh, uh, I think that there's no reason for him to take any chances, and he needs to go in there and take care of business on Saturday. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. We'll uh, be talking more now. We won't be doing a live show on Friday, boys and girls, uh, due to the holiday. But we will be back on Monday. So uh, on Thursday. Uh, Sal and I will be breaking down and giving you our predictions uh, on the uh, on the big fight. Now we were asked about doing a post fight show uh, on uh, Saturday. The fight comes on fairly early, and I would like to try to do a post fight show, but I won't know until uh, Thursday show. So hang in there, and we will uh, let you know. We're going to try to coordinate it uh, production wise uh, to do uh, to do a post fight show. Uh, which actually would be our first for this year already. But uh, on this day, March 27th in boxing history, in 1998, Richie Woodall wins a 12-round decision over Thulani Malinga uh, to win the WBC World Super Middleweight title, and that took place in England on this day in 1998. On this day in 1925, James Red Herring wins the World Junior Welterweight title via a six-round disqualification over Pinky Mitchell. The fight took place in Detroit, Michigan. On this day in 1992, Wilfredo Vasquez knocks out Raul Perez in the third round to win the WBA World Junior Featherweight title, and that took place in Mexico City. On this day in 1925, one of the greatest fighters of all time, Harry Greb and Gene Tunney, fight to a 10-round no decision in Minnesota. According to most ringside reports, Greb gave Gene Tunney the worst beating he ever received as a professional boxer. This is the same Gene Tunney uh, that uh, uh, fought and beat my man Jack Dempsey. Uh, on this day in 1934, one of the greatest lightweights of all time, in my opinion, Barney Ross, wins a 10-round decision over Bobby Pacho to retain his World Junior Welterweight title, and that took place in California on this day in 1934. And finally, on this day, March 27th, in 1942, Joe Lewis knocks out Big Abe Simon in the sixth round to retain the world heavyweight title. And that took place at Madison Square Garden in New York City on this day in 1942. Hey, man, that concludes our show for today. Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.